0: Welcome to the Travelcast Halloween Special, Episode 87. The Drabblecast is a weekly flash fiction podcast magazine that brings strange stories by strange authors to strange listeners, such as yourself. I'm your ghost, Norm Sherman. Well, Halloween is just around the corner, and we here at the Drabblecast are particularly thrilled it's the season for zombies werewolves hot nurse costumes and dried puke on the sidewalk it's the only time of the year that you get to eat those disgusting uh, suspicious chewy candies wrapped in unmarked orange or black paper haunted hayrides cheap plastic lawn decorations, the occasional abducted child, all these wonderful facets come together in one bizarre night. But the most wonderful thing about Halloween is the tradition of the scary story. A tradition that we here at the Drabblecast take dead serious. (laughs) What did we talk about? Uh, Don't mind, Kendall. He's just one of our dead It's so hard to find good help these days. Anyways, speaking of traditions of scary stories, this year we bring you another frightful tale by Kevin Anderson, an author you're surely quite familiar with if you're a regular listener of the Travelcast. Kevin has published 60 stories or so over the past few years in places like Dark Animus, Darkness Rising, Dark Wisdom... Well, a lot of publications with the word dark in the title, which is a little misleading because he's really a nice guy. He lives in sunny Southern California with his wife, children, and a turtle named Chalky, or Rock, depending on which kid you ask. Halloween also marks Kevin's wedding anniversary. That's right, and this year he's celebrating his ninth. I'm sure it will be very necromantic. Just remember, Kevin, if you're looking for gift ideas, demons are a ghoul's best friend. (laughs) Shut the hell up. Anyways, I've always wanted a ghoul friend. But being a ghost, I've never had much luck with the ladies. Women always seem to see right through me. Uh, awkward. Mm Hmm? Well, on to today's story, I suppose. Then, uh, without further ado, The Boxborn Wraith by Kevin Anderson. Not like this, Shall, Benny pleaded. Just shoot me. Please! Xiao shook his head. You know I can't, Ben. The boss was very specific. Now get in the damn box. Benny gazed down the six-foot-long wooden crate at the bottom of a shallow grave. It looked to be hurried work, imperfect corners and protruding nails. Xiao's men weren't carpenters. They were killers. And this box, with all its imperfections, buried in the middle of an old graveyard, was Benny's coffin. He knew it was pointless to beg, but Benny didn't know what else to do. Please, Xiao. Not alive. Don't bury me alive. Jump down there, you skimming bastard or I'm going to blow your kneecaps off. Xiao aimed his gun at Benny's legs. If you don't panic, you got about 24 hours of air down there. You really want to spend that time in agony. Benny considered for a second, but before he decided, one of Xiao's men pushed him in. He landed on his feet and stood up fast, the top of the grave coming up to his chest. Benny's heart pounded. And even in the cool October night, his black hair matted with sweat. Xiao knelt down. (laughs) You know, the boss owns this old boneyard. Bought it a year back, when the last vacancy filled. He thought it'd be a nice place to bury the trash. you will be the first. Benny looked out at the gravestones jutting up from a thin layer of fog as orange moonlight shimmered off of a hundred forgotten epitaphs. The only earthborn sources of light came from the porches outside the cemetery. Jack-o'-lanterns burned brightly in the surrounding neighborhood, and as Benny was about to start begging again, he caught a glint of movement. Xiao saw it too, and Benny felt the muzzle of the revolver pressed up to his jaw. Go ahead, Ben. Call out. Benny gazed at the Trigger Treaters skipping along the sidewalk outside the cemetery, a small group of parents in tow. Make one sound, and I'll blow your mouth clean off. Then I'll have to go kill some kids. You don't want to go down like that, Ben. And I ain't no mood to kill kids. Benny opened his mouth, and Xiao leaned closer. And, maybe when done, I go pay a visit to your house, Benny boy. Say hi to that nice wife and of yours. He out trick-or-treating tonight? Benny grabbed Xiao's collar. Stay away from my family, you son of a bitch. Xiao pointed the gun into Benny's grave. Get in the box, and they'll be fine. Benny knew far too well that Shaw didn't make threats. He made promises. The sadistic pig would have no problem abusing his family while Benny slowly suffocated. Sighing, Benny let his hands fall to his side and gazed down at the place where he was meant to die. It was cold, hard, and dark. Ada boy, now lie down. Let's get this done. Benny lowered himself down and the darkness swept over him like a blanket. Xiao, let me have a light. Xiao kicked some dirt into the grave, landing on Benny's chest. Won't change nothing. I don't want to die in the dark. Xiao pulled a flashlight from his back pocket and tossed it down. We all die in the dark, Benny. Fumbling with the flashlight, Benny pulled it to his chest as Shao's men threw down the lid. One of them jumped in the hole with hammer and nails. Benny lifted his head and peered through a small crack in the lid. Shao stood, holstering his gun, turning to go. Hey Shao, Benny called. Yeah. Benny clenched his teeth. If I ever see you again. Shao smiled. You won't." Benny closed his eyes as the first nails were put into place. He managed to make it through the hammering okay, staying calm, retreating into thoughts of his wife and son. But when the dirt started to fall, in loud clumps, Benny started to lose control. His body shook and he started pounding, then clawing at the lid. Wooden shards broke loose and stabbed the tender skin under his nails blood ran down his fingers as the sound of falling dirt became distant, replaced by the creaking of the wood making up his coffin. He placed his hands flat on the lid, realizing that it was bowing inward from the weight of the dirt. For some reason, he started to laugh, hoping that the lid might implode and crush him. But after a few still moments, Benny realized he wasn't going to be that lucky. The smell of earth, sweat, and freshly cut wood filled his nostrils as he tried to take slow breaths. With no place to go, the sounds of his breathing bounced around the box like a trapped bat, amplifying his panic, feeding his dread. Benny tried to occupy his mind and to not think about his itching neck or his aching legs. He desperately wanted to bend his knees just for a few seconds, and the fact that he couldn't was maddening. He pounded the lid with his fists and screamed until he passed out. He awoke with a jolt, trying to sit up, and smacked his head on unforgiving wood. An instant reminder that the nightmare about being buried alive hadn't been a nightmare. He moved the light so he could see his watch. Just past midnight, he'd been buried for four hours. Twenty hours to go, he thought. I can do this, just make it through the next twenty hours, without losing my mind and A distant sound seized his attention. Benny held his breath, straining to hear it again. He pressed his ear to the lid. And there it was. A faint... digging sound. Someone was digging. Ah, I'm in! He tried to call out but his previous screaming had strained his voice. It had to be Shao digging him up, Benny thought. Maybe the boss just wanted to teach him a lesson. Seemed a bit extreme, but the digging got closer. Or maybe, maybe it was teenagers on a dare, digging up a fresh grave. Yeah, that might be it the kind of Halloween stunt he'd have pulled as a kid. Benny pounded on the lid again. Here, I'm in here. But even before the echo of his voice had faded, he noticed something wrong with the sounds of dirt being moved. It was getting closer, more hurried, and seemed only a few feet away. But the closer it got, the more wrong it seemed. It wasn't until Benny turned his head and pressed an ear to the bottom of the box that he realized what it was. The digging wasn't coming from above. It was coming from below. Oh Jesus, Benny cried, gripping the flashlight, shining its beam around the box. He could feel dirt fall away beneath him, the bottom of the box sagging downward, hanging over a black hole in the earth. Something scraped from the bottom and Benny jumped. He squirmed, trying to roll on his side, but before he did, something clawed its way down the length of the coffin. Benny froze. Taking a deep breath, he turned his head to the side, aiming the light into the widest seam in the box. The beam bounced off a dirt wall a few feet away, and he saw deep claw marks in its surface. He could hear movement outside, accompanying his own panicked breathing, but every time he chased it down with a flashlight, there was nothing. Then, like earthworms caressing his skin, he felt warm air on the back of his neck. As something very close exhaled. Pulse pounding, he whirled around, eyes wide, and was terrified to see something from outside glaring in. Large white eyes with thick, pale eyelids blinked and then narrowed curiously, Benny kicked the box. Get away! He reared for another kick, but a dozen clawed hands burst through the box, seizing him and pulling him downward. His head slammed hard into the dirt as bits of wood rained down around him. He blinked a few times and focused, instantly wishing he hadn't. A dozen golf-ball-sized eyes set inside hideous faces surrounded him. Before Benny could take a breath, he felt clawed hands grab his shirt. The creature pulled Benny's face in close, sniffing him through a pair of slit nostrils just below its wide eyes. It then howled angrily and pushed Benny away. Some of the other creatures backed off in revulsion, looking angry or astonished. Sitting up, Benny took a good look at his captors. Their long arms allowed them simian-like movements, reaching forward on worn knuckles and swinging their legs underneath. If it wasn't for their noseless faces and bald skin, Benny would have thought them hairless chimpanzees. A few of the creatures wore clothes, not for function, but more as decoration. He cringed in horror, recognizing several popular tattoo patterns on their garments. Their clothes were fashioned from human skin. Benny was pushed towards a torchlit corridor as the small group started to move. He had to stay crouched in the four-foot high passage, which was the perfect size for its inhabitants. Stumbling along the descending tunnel, Benny was prodded from behind. He could hear them talking in a language he'd never heard before, but the tone was unquestionably angry. Suddenly, he emerged into an enormous gymnasium-sized chamber. Coffins, stacked up like bleachers, lined the walls. The seats were filled with what seemed to be females of the species and hordes of their brood. As he walked past, the smaller eyes of the young ones stared at him, glazing over with hunger. Disappointment seemed to flash over their gaunt faces. The scene reminded Benny of pictures of starving children and their bloated stomachs, ripe with malnutrition. A tall, thin female, wearing human teeth around her neck like a pearl necklace, emerged from behind a pile of discarded jewelry, watches and gold fillings. She walked toward Benny holding a staff constructed of bone. The others cleared a path, and Benny tried to stand up straight. She tapped his chest with the staff and then placed a hand over his heart. Benny felt his heart beat faster at her touch. She shook her head, then turned to her people and spoke in their strange language. They didn't seem to like what she had to say. Commotion exploded around the room. Some yelled with rage. Some sobbed. The one that had grabbed him earlier pushed to the front and started yelling. He held a broken femur like a dagger and thrust it up and down. The female jabbed her staff into the dirt defiantly. The larger male took a step back with a slight bow, but then roared savagely and lunged at Benny. Benny brought his hands up as the creature landed on his chest. Swinging a fist, Benny connected with the side of its bald head. It fell back, howling like an enraged ape, then came again, this time with teeth. Benny heard a crunch and screamed as it bit into his wrist. He pulled with all his strength, wildly thrashing and kicking at his attacker, but the creature suddenly let go. It stumbled back, gagging, its face splattered with Benny's blood. Gasping for air, it grabbed its throat before falling to the dirt floor, its tiny legs twitching. Then it lay still, dead. Before Benny could attend to his wound, the female pulled him up, dragged him to the rear of the chamber, and threw an opening. Crouching, Benny whirled around and saw her wave the bone staff at the doorway. In an instant, the opening of the room vanished, replaced by a wall of dirt. Thinking it safe for the moment, Benny examined his wrist. To his astonishment, he wasn't even bleeding. The cuts were deep, but there was No pain. It was like he was looking at a wound on someone else's body. The female moved past him, and Benny gazed around the room, noticing the familiarity of his new surroundings in an instant. It had a high cathedral ceiling, pews made of coffins, and a podium of mud and bone. Beyond was an altar, decorated with elaborate hieroglyphs. The creatures were depicted carrying coffins, worshipping them, and feasting on the contents. Life. The female said, The boxes are life. Benny's head was spinning, but he started to understand. A word was floating around in his mind for a few moments, seemingly searching for a sane place to land. When sanity seemed unavailable, he finally just said it. Ghouls. Boxes empty for so long. She said, Her speech labored as if struggling for every syllable. Then you. You eat the dead to live, Benny said, more to himself than his savior. Remembering what happened to the one that just bit him, he knew why they couldn't consume him alive. Living blood was poisonous. But why not just kill me and eat me after, he asked. She thrust the staff past the altar, toward a mud statue of a female, arms spread wide, reaching for the surface. The mother forbids. Must not make dead. Mother forbids, Benny repeated. <laughs> well, don't that just beat all. The ghoul's got religion. He looked into her huge eyes as an idea erupted in his mind. I think you and I can work this out. Benny pointed up. You send me back up there and I'll fill your boxes. (laughs) Man, oh man, will I fill your boxes. Benny saw the female smile, a yellow jagged tooth grin and he knew she understood. Not much later, Benny clawed his way out of the ground through a narrow hole in the earth that the female ghoul had created with the thrust of her staff. Flopping down in the cemetery grass, he took air deep into his lungs, the cold night invigorating every muscle in his body. He rolled over and looked at his wound. It still didn't hurt, and he'd almost forgotten about it. The tears in the flesh seemed only scratches, and beneath, he could feel his muscle pulse with energy he'd never felt before. There was a tingle on his scalp as he ran his fingers through his hair. Thick black strands fell away. He looked at the clumps in his hands, sighing. (laughs) Small price to pay, he said with a grin. Benny took a deep breath and then jumped to his feet with a simian's grace. He felt strong, hungry, and ready to make good on a promise. He didn't know what he was becoming, but he did know that Xiao would be the first to find out. Ah, a second chance at life. What a heart tale. Never give up. Being buried alive might just be the start to a zany, underground adventure where you'll make new friends, learn lessons about life, win the girl, and then return as an undead menace to the mob. I don't know about you, but all this talk about eating corpses has really got my tummy box growling. Kendall, what do you say we swing by cadaver barrel and get us some real down-home cooking? Ah yes, you're in the mood for seafood then. Well, what about dead mobster? Ah, yes. I hate the lines there too, but they do have good cheese biscuits. (laughs) Ugh, really? Aren't you tired of Denny's? Okay, okay. I suppose they do make a pretty good murder burger. Well, that's all for this week, kiddies. If you enjoyed the show, consider making a donation to us via the PayPal buttons on our website, travelcast.org. You can donate either once, or subscribe for a measly five dollars a month. Your donations go directly to our authors for their work. The Travelcast is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License, which means you can share it with anyone you like, but you can't change it or sell it. Mother forbids. Our staff is made up of code editors. Kendall Marchman, who also has simian-like movements and howls like an enraged ape. Luke Coddington, who's been looking for a way to make his annoying dog disappear without his wife knowing and has probably got some ideas after this episode. And yours truly, Norm Sherman, reminding you that the boxes are life. And also to go and vote on Tuesday. Ha <laughs>